Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When a humble bar graced a ride along with Geralt of Rick, along came this song. When the white wolf fought, a silver-tongued devil, his army of elves at his hooves did they revel. They came after me with masterful deceit, broke down my loot and they kicked in my teeth. While the devil's horns minced our tender meat, and so cried the witcher, he can't be bleed Toss a coin to your witcher Oh valley of plenty Oh valley of plenty Oh Toss a coin to your witcher Oh valley of plenty Hello and welcome to One Up Yes, as you can tell by the intro music It is that time We've finally done what we've promised, probably for the best time of like 18 months. We're going to finally review The Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt. And we may even touch on the series at the end if we have time. But you know in us, it'll probably go about 17 hours. Um, So, Carl, how are you doing before we introduce our guest? Yeah, I'm good, Guy. Um, You know, here we are a week later, not six months later this time. So we're we're trying to make good on that promise to make it a more regular thing. And uh, I'm looking forward to finally delivering on that promise of a a Witcher Wild Hunt review. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm really looking forward to this. So we have to get the... uh our usual news and stuff, uh, news segments and stuff out the way. But we have a guest. Carl has found someone who's recently finished The Witcher. And that's going to help us because we had to watch videos and stuff and mostly on memory and stuff like that. So, Matthew, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. How are you, guy? I'm good. I'm good. I've, I've been looking forward to this for a while. So, Matthew, Carl has prepared a quiz for you that he has not told you about. And he has sent it to me to ask to you. <laughs> and he's called it this or that. And then there's some quick fire questions just to get to know you a bit, a bit about your gaming history and stuff. So are you ready for your quiz? All right. All right. Mm. Yep. This or that. Pokemon Red version or Pokemon Blue version? Pokemon Blue. Oh. Oof. I'm judging you here silently. <laughs> Nintendo or Sega? 
Sega, definitely. Sega, Sega kid. I like me. You got you gone back up there. Ryu or Ken? Oh, that's tough actually. I yeah, I think I have to go Ken. PS1 or Nintendo 64? PS1. Yeah. Yeah. Duke Nukem or Doom? That's another that's another tough one. Yeah, Doom, Doom. Yeah. Miyamoto or Kojima? Kojima, Kojima. Right, this this one is where I'll judge you the most. Spyro or Crash? Crash, Crash. I, I wasn't a big fan of Spyro. It is actually. It's a big shame. I love Spyro. <laughs> <laughs> I loved both, but Crash is the right answer. Um, Sephiroth or Cloud? Sephiroth. Ooh, bad boy. <laughs> the bad lad. Easy, easy. Yeah. Mario Kart or Crash Team Racing? Uh, Mario Kart, yeah. No. Disappointing. <laughs> get, get off no, my, get off my podcast. <laughs> both of you fuck off. Uh, graphics or gameplay? Uh, gameplay. Good man, good man. And some quick fire questions just to get you get to know you a smidge more. The last game that you completed. Last game I completed. Whew. Very rarely finished games these days. Really don't know what that might be. Perhaps the game we're going to talk about. Oh yeah, I guess <laughs> The Witcher Three. Uh, but because uh, I didn't complete all the DLC, I guess that's why I was thinking it's still on my list. So yeah, The Witcher Three. Yeah, I like it. It's very apt. <laughs> uh, first console that you owned. Um, first. Yeah, that would have been Sega Mega Drive. Yeah. Oh, good man. Same. Same. Favorite game of all time? Ooh, it's a heavy hitting question. That one. <laughs> that's tough. That's tough. Like, not like first thing that comes to my mind is is Final Fantasy VII. So I guess I kind of have to go with that. But um, I think Shadow of the Colossus would be up there as well. Final Fantasy VII. You getting the uh, you getting the new one, the remake. Um, I might wait until more of the parts are out because, yeah, I don't want to be stuck like halfway through it and, you know, waiting possibly years for, for more parts to come out. So mm. hopefully I'll be able to resist uh, picking it up. Yeah, I'm on I'm on Xbox and I've already ju- I've just finished Final Fantasy VII and I've started nine. So I'm fucked both ways. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, dear. But that's it. That's the that, that that's the question. So we've got to know Matthew. Um, yeah. Carl, we have news, and just kind of like an asterisk next to the news. We literally finished the podcast last week, and then Naughty Dog released their news. So that's why we're talking about it this week rather than last week, isn't it? Yeah, um, the timing could not have been worse. Literally off the podcast, and I think Neil dropped a, a message into the, the one-up WhatsApp group saying that The Last of Us 2 had been delayed. And uh, we were, of course, devastated by the news, but we were also 
devastated by how how we missed out literally by about five minutes on on getting some very timely news into the show but i suppose that's just the, the nature of the beast and and we'll we'll discuss discuss it now so i suppose without a delay we'll we'll jump into the news and our first story of course is the last of us two delayed indefinitely and this comes from jason schreier over at kotaku and jason writes the much anticipated post-apocalyptic adventure game the last of us two will be delayed indefinitely due to the coronavirus pandemic publisher sony said today at playstation on twitter tweeted quote update sie has made the difficult decision to delay the launch of the last of us part two and marvel's iron man vr until further notice logistically the global crisis is preventing us from providing the launch experience our players deserve end quote the game which had been previously scheduled for may 29th is nearly done and ready to go a naughty dog developer told kotaku this afternoon this was a decision made for logistical and economic reasons quote the good news is we're nearly done with development of the last of us part two end quote naughty dog said in a statement this afternoon Quote, however, even with us finishing the game, we were faced with the reality that due to logistics beyond our control, we couldn't launch The Last of, Last of Us Part 2 to our satisfaction. We want to make sure everyone gets to play The Last of Us Part 2 around the same time, ensuring that we're doing everything possible to preserve the best experience for everyone. This meant delaying the game until such a time where we can solve these logistic issues, end quote. Naughty Dog's employees, like most at video game companies across the world, are currently working from their homes in order to practice self-isolation. And you can read the full story over on Kotaku. So, what do we think, Guy? How, how, how hard has the news hit you? Well, I've never played the first one. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so, it doesn't affect me in terms of that game getting delayed, but I imagine it's going to have a knock-on effect for... Ghost of Tsushima, which is out, was June, I think it is. It's June 1st, it was meant to come out. So that'll probably get uh, knocked back, which I was going to actually dust off the PlayStation 4. Um, and then on further things like Cyberpunk, which obviously got delayed already. Um, so in terms of the actual news about stuff getting delayed, that bothers me. But The Last of Us, meh for me. But uh, Matthew, have you, I'm guessing... Most people, when I say don't play Last of Us, have like shout at me and stuff. Have you played it? Are you concerned? Yeah, about yeah, games? yeah. I played it. Um, yeah, like I was definitely looking forward to it, but yeah, these days with so many games to play, it's like an, another delay. It's actually a blessing sometimes. Um, but no, I think it's it's probably the right decision for them. You know, they've got a delay for logistical reasons, safety reasons, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's all good to me, and they'll have more time to um, put a bit of polish on it as well for the, no doubt, day one patches and stuff to to get it ready. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I think most people will know, even if you're an Xbox nerd like me, Naughty Dog's one that probably is the best in the business, Um, and they'll do the job perfectly fine. So, Carl, it seems like it'll affect you the most because you will—you're probably going to get this day one. <laughs> yeah, well, firstly, guy, I mean, the the joke's getting old. You you've got to play The Last of Us. I mean, oh. you know, you've got to write that wrong and get that game played. Now, this gives you extra time. That that's one benefit we can take. This gives you extra time to get The Last of Us played before Part Two comes out, presumably later in the year, maybe sometime in the fall. Um. As for, for my own thoughts on it, 
I, I, I can kind of understand where Matt's coming on in, in regards to so many games to play. We've all got these massive backlogs and, you know, it, it gives us more time to, to play those games. And, you know, it, it can be a blessing in a way. And, and I, I kind of see, I think when uh, Jason Schreier, actually, coincidentally, who, who wrote this story, tweeted um, kind of early on in the pandemic that there was going to be some some game delays and you knew knowing, knowing him i mean i mentioned on the last show he has some inside information so he must have known about something probably this and you, you knew it was going to happen and it makes sense and you know it, it's a shame that it's happening but you know it, it did make sense and, and i wasn't too bothered about games in general but this was the one game that i was hoping would slip through the net i mean i bought my ps3 for the last of us i went out and bought the console and the game brand new and so i could play it and loved every minute it's one of the be- it, it might be critically the best game i've ever played it's my, not necessarily my favorite game but it's definitely the best game critically i feel it, or certainly one of those um so I, I am disappointed in that sense but when you're looking at other games around that are launching at the moment like resident evil 3 remake and final fantasy 7 remake they're coming out but there's not many physical copies available i think like square enix themselves were able to fill pre-orders from their own online store and they actually sent the game out early to make sure it got to people but you know, you're not going to get it on an Amazon or obviously you can't even go to like a GameStop or a game or, or whatever the case might be. So, I mean, I suppose The Last of Us Part 2, they didn't want that launch. Like, that's not what Naughty Dog wanted. They want to kind of launch it big, get it out there, sell 10 million copies or whatever their aim is. So I can see the, the sense behind it, but I'm still still disappointed that we're, we're not going to get it for until later in the year now. When do you reckon it'll come out? I mean, we obviously have had the discussion last week about the knock-on effect of maybe consoles getting delayed and stuff like that. Will they launch it close to the PS5 launch? Well, I mean, we still don't know whether the PS5 is going to be delayed or not. I mean, my, my money would be on it on it being delayed. Um, I mean, it, it's interesting. As you mentioned, Ghost of Tsushima, I think, comes out on the 26th of June. Could still reasonably make that, but I doubt it and at the same time i think you know when a company like sony plans the releases it's will release this game then and then this game three months later or whatever so if the last of us 2 has been delayed then inevitably as you suggested ghost of tsushima will likely be delayed itself and for that reason then are we going to see the last of us 2 maybe august or september and then possibly see ghost of tsushima november or maybe maybe not even till january or february of next year it's difficult to say i'd still expect the last of us part two will make a launch in 2020 but you know it's it's obviously not going to be until probably beyond the summer yeah yeah and that's a shame and that's a shame and if I ever do play Last of Us, Carl, we could discuss it on here as a review. <laughs> yeah. uh, God, we'll see how long lockdown lasts. <laughs> um, other news. Um, we've got two stories that kind of roll into to one type thing, and that's that E3 won't be holding a, a, a online experience, as they've quoted, and that Bethesda won't be hold, uh, will skip holding a digital event, which is probably a blessing in disguise going off the last few E3s. <laughs> um, 
but I, they're pretty much self-explanatory uh, stories, uh, Matthew. I mean, will you miss E3 in in this format? We'll probably get digital content from the other big big lads, but will you miss E3 in its usual format? Um, uh, not so much, I don't think. I th- I'd say the last few years, the individual content that... Um, you know, developers, publishers have been coming out with have been eclipsing E3 anyway. So I think, yeah, I wonder will we we ever really see a proper E3 again, to be honest. Um, And yeah, going on the last few years, I don't think it will be a a massive loss really, Uh, to me anyway. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I think me and Carl, we kind of snowballed onto this topic last week, didn't we, Carl? And it was... I think we agreed, as long as there's an alternative and everyone's doing their own thing. I mean, the stadium thing doesn't really... I'm not going to fly to fucking LA to go play some games. I went to Birmingham once to do that, and it was a fuck-on. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's... it. I think we agreed, didn't we, Carl, that E3 probably... Well, it was dying already, but this is probably one of the last nails in the coffin. Yeah, I mean, and... and- this news is kind of just only adds to that because obviously the ESA was trying to to tack on the E3 2020 to kind of tag almost to whatever digital showings that that the likes of Microsoft and um, Ubisoft are likely to show in the summer, but it, it doesn't seem that's going to happen at all now. Um, and although they're they're determined to to hold E3 2021. I, you know, I, I have my doubts on that happening. And if it does happen, I think it could be an entirely different thing. It could swing even further towards the the kind of consumer side of things. And, you know, it, it's really, it's, it's almost becoming like a large scale PAX almost. And because mm. there are already things like PAX, it, it just doesn't seem to have a place. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think E3 is long for this world. And, and, and it's unfortunate in in a nostalgic way because i mean it, it was often the highlight of the the year for for gamers to see all the new games and and that back in the day but it's it's just kind of lost that that spark and as as matt suggested you know you really kind of these days you jump on a lot of a lot of the companies have moved away from and are doing their own thing and you kind of just pick and choose what applies to you jump on watch their press conference or digital showing or whatever it might be these days and then and then jump off it's it's no longer kind of the full experience that it once was for most people and i mean as for bethesda i think you kind of hit the nail on the coffin guy in that while they blew everyone away in their first year with fallout 4 and a lot of other great games the last few years have kind of been clutching at straws with large presentations on elder scrolls online and what what is their card game called again? Is it Elder Scrolls Legends? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't need to hear about Elder Scrolls Legends for twenty minutes. So well, was I, it last? I, was Starfield and Elder? Is it Elder Scrolls six or seven? Fucking, I'm lost. <laughs> Elder Scrolls six. Six. Yeah. And they're probably well. One's probably five years away, and the other's probably ten years away. <laughs> That's what they had to resort to last year. So. Um, but, uh, Maybe Starfield could be next year. It's, I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule it out. But mm. you know, it's. It's. I. I doubt they're going to make the mistake of revealing it this year. Anyway, I think if Starfield is coming, they'll reveal it next summer to launch in in 
kind of uh, November, they kind of like those slots for those kind of games. So um, I, I don't think we would have been seeing that this year anyway. And I think they would have just come in for criticism if they'd gone on stage and Todd Phillips had been like, yeah, we're still working on Starfield. I'd be like, yeah. well, all right. <laughs> I don't know, even know so. what could they have talked about. I mean, Doom DLC? <laughs> That's about it. Whatever the hell's out on Elder Scrolls Online, as you say. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they have a massive lot coming this year. But what's interesting as well is that, I mean, this isn't the only thing Bethesda have cancelled this year. QuakeCon 2020 has been cancelled as well. So it's almost like Bethesda are going to ground for a year now. You know, we're, we're not really going to hear much from them. Um, mm. Which, uh, you know, might be a good thing. Maybe they can come back with a bang in 2021 with a lot of things to announce and, and show off, which which could be interesting. Well, that's what we said last week. We were just looking forward mostly to that Warner Brothers announced they were going to be there. <laughs> so that's probably the one shame out of it. But yeah, Bethesda, I don't want to say lucky for this this epidemic, but they're lucky to miss a year of this because, I mean, unless they're surprising us with, I don't know, Dishonored free or something like that, there's not really much you could think could be up there. I mean, Wolfenstein's pretty much done after that co-op thing, isn't it? Um, so, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Any excuse to keep Todd off the stage, hyping up something Absolutely. too high that Absolutely. they can't reach? Oh God, they'd be seven. Oh my God, they'd put me like NPCs and then <laughs> for another year in Fallout seventy six. You know, never know, lads. You know, they they might have pulled out Fallout Shelter too. You know. <laughs> I mean, I'd probably play that. <laughs> it'd be better. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be better than Fallout seventy six. <laughs> I was about to say. Oh dear, dearie me. Um, so that's it. That's that's the news and stuff. We can actually get into the review. It's already twenty minutes in, so we might actually not go twelve hours here. Right, <clears throat> Matthew, you've finished it the most recently. What what is your feelings after this? Because I think me and Carl may have slipped into the realms of nostalgia in terms of The Witcher Three. You, it's obviously a bit fresher in your mind. It, did it stack up to the the hype and the God prestige is a strong word, but the the reviews and rage reviews it gets from everyone? Um, yeah, yeah, I I think it does. I'm trying to think back because I have a bit of nostalgia for it as well because I when I originally played it when it came mm. out and you know got so far and then eventually. Uh, eventually gave up just because the game was so massive and I was like so um, determined to do every little thing on the map that it, that it all just kind of got too much and then years later um, picked up the you know the complete edition with all the DLC and stuff and decided like no it was incredible while I played it I'll go back even if I have to replay even if I have to replay most of the game again I'm, I'm going to get through it and finish it and yeah it was well worth seeing the ending to that story um definitely lives up to to the hype definitely one of the the best games of the console generation anyway oh 100% 100% I, I was going to say it's my it's my favorite and well <laughs> I don't have many exclusives to talk about on my my half of the console war. but yeah in terms of third party I think there's only like maybe God of War um RDR2 that's probably up there no, I still prefer Witcher to them. Um, yeah. Carl, your overall thoughts before we get into the meat of this? Yeah, so, I mean, for me, it it is 
the the game of the generation. I, I don't even need to to think twice about that. And that's not to knock other games. There's been some great games this generation, as you said, God of War, um, Red Dead Redemption Two, Spider Man. Although I have a little bit of bias there, being a big Spider Man fan, but there, there were some amazing games in the in this generation. But for me. The Witcher 3 just just stands a, a class above because there, there's nothing I can really knock about it. I mean, it looks beautiful. You know, the, the gameplay is tight and um, kind of, you know, a lot more depth to it than a lot of similar games in, in similar genres. Um, the story is fantastic. The characters are well portrayed, well well voiced, well written. I mean, there, there's not really anything I, I could knock. I mean, the depth, it is kind of overwhelming, as as Matt alluded to. And, and I, I, towards the end, was somewhat burned out. But, I mean, that's, I, you know, I'm I'm someone who works 40-hour weeks and, and has other commitments and that. If I was a 16-year-old lad, as, as I once was, and loved to play, like, open-world RPGs like this, I love The Witcher, you know, to be able to put three, four hundred hours into every single little thing available to me. I mean, that, that it kind of came like that would be a godsend to, to someone who doesn't buy that many games. So I, I'm not going to put that as a, as a negative in any sense. So for me, I, I think it definitely deserves all the praise it gets and more. Yep, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Uh, and just to gauge your both your interests in in the franchise was Witcher Free. Well, we talked about this, but just for the sake of the listener, is Witcher Free your first um, involvement in the franchise? Uh, Carl, start with you. Technically, no, but really, yes. I did play the first Witcher a good few years ago, and I actually played it through on live. If anyone remembers that, you know, one of the the pioneering game streaming service. I played it on my laptop, um, streaming it through on live, and it was laggy as shit on my connection back then, and uh, played pretty awfully, and I, I played it for about 20 minutes and then jacked it in. But, I mean, on until beyond that then, Witcher 3 was kind of my proper entry point to the series. I had picked up Witcher 2 once upon a time um, in a game sale, but, but never really got around to it, despite, you know, it, it coming with a good kind of reputation um and that's something now i want to get into retrospectively having played the witcher 3 but it, it was my my ent- entry point overall to be honest and matthew same same question for you yeah so similar for me um witcher 3 was my first um first uh, look at anything kind of witcher related um but I think that's um, it's kind of a testament to the game itself that it is the third uh, installment in a series. And it really doesn't feel like that when it is your first mm. entrance into the series. Like it does a really good job of introducing you to like a really rich backstory and all these characters that um, Geralt has already got pre-established relationships with. And I can only imagine if I had actually played the previous two games, there's probably a million references and a million um little things slipped in there um that that we're not even aware of but it 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 still does such a good job of of keeping you up to date on you know who these people are and you know their relationships yeah yeah absolutely i mean as i said to you before we started recording i dabbled into a bit probably did first couple chapters didn't 
didn't get anywhere near the end, I don't think. Um, and after I finished Witcher 3, I've listened to three or four of the books. Not the one that the next series is going to be, uh, on, in terms of the TV series, is going to be based on. I think that's the only one I'm missing. But I've listened to the books. Um, and yeah, I think you're right there, Matthew. The, even the books, I know the, the games are based loosely, more loosely uh, around them. But um, there's just little details there, the relationships that are built up and some, even some of the characters. I know you haven't played the DLC, but there's some DLC characters that get explained a lot further in that. Um, so, let's go through some of the most important bits. And, and Carl, we do have to start with the main character, and that is Geralt. Um, he, he's a witcher. He's the main He's the main character, obviously. We, if you're coming new into the series, you don't exactly know what a witcher is, but he's an emotionless man, but <laughs> eventually start showing bloody emotion, <laughs> where the way you control him and stuff like that. And it's probably one of the more tougher things for a voice actor to do, because you have to kind of act like you're dead inside, but also excited <laughs> at the same time. So <laughs> in terms of Geralt, what what, what makes him such a, a memorable character, uh, Carl? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting when you compare it to, to kind of similar games, uh, you know, kind of these open world Western RPGs where often you're playing a blank slate of a character. Yeah, they have kind of a loose title, such as the, the Dovahkin and Skyrim, but, you know, they're, they're your character. You can pick their race often, their class, their what they look like, their name. Whereas here we're dropped into the shoes of an existing character. You know, we, you know, his, what he looks like is said, I mean, you can, you can change his hair and his, his uh, facial hair, but really he is Geralt. He looks the way he looks. He is the way he is. And although you get to choose his path and in terms of morality uh, is probably the best way to put it. Really, though, that there is an existing character there. There's been two previous games as, as, and there's been the, the books and you know as as matt alluded to you can you can you get a sense that there's this this player this character has gone down a path a, a specific path and that has led it to where you are now taking up that path in the game but at the same time that's not off-putting you know you, you don't feel like you know you've missed something but at the same time you, you feel like that's not going to affect your experience of the game. And, and I didn't feel it did. And, you know, uh, as you said, you've gone back and read some of the books now, Guy, and I've done the same. And, I mean, I don't think I did myself a disservice by doing it in reverse. I mean, I, mean, it, I don't think it affected my experience mm. of the game. And it was interesting kind of getting to, to know Geralt and his relationship with the people around him. And I know you can influence that somewhat, but as a, as a feel, there, there always seems like there's, at least to me, like, and, and maybe that's just the way I experience, but like you're getting a sense of, you're getting to know Geralt, you're getting a sense of who he is, where he's been, and that kind of influences where you bring him through the course of the game, or at least it did did for me. And I mean, for me, the, the performance, as far as the, the voice acting goes, as you said, it, it's it's not an easy character to play. I mean, there, there has been some pretty cringy portrayals of him in the past like that that uh the the past kind of mini series um the hexer you know pretty pretty cringe um but i mean the the this portrayal of him in the games is just it's just class to, to portray as you say a character with no 
like no no emotion almost, or at least allegedly, witchers aren't supposed to have uh, emotion. And the the way in which he's he's portrayed by Doug Cockle is just just immense. Like it's it's just an excellent performance. And I mean, as I said, I know uh, it it almost seems contradictory because as I said, I didn't have a sense for the character before picking up the game, but once I kind of played and started to get a better sense of the character, you know, I, I think that the voice just suits him spectacularly. I mm. mean, what, what was your, your take on the character, Matt? Um, yeah, no, I agree with the, a lot of what you said there. Um, like for me, the Witcher is so good at like really drawing you into that one character. I can't really think of another game where you kind of n- not so much relate to the character, but you, you know, you're, you feel that you are portraying that character. I guess for me, like you said, with all the, all the blank slate RPGs, you're kind of, you're, you're, you know, making up the character yourself. You're making your own decisions. And then even other games where you play as a character, you kind of, you kind of, well, for me anyway, you kind of making decisions. Oh, what would I do in this situation? But I guess the way it's written, it kind of draws you in and you're more thinking like in, in Geralt's headspace, like what would he do in this scenario? And I guess everything that happens in that game, every option that you have, it feels like something that that character would would definitely do. There's no like crazy wild swings where you're like, oh, th- this character would never do this. Why is this? Why is this even possible? Or why is this even an option? It's really, really character driven and really focused on 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 what that character is meant to be. So. Yeah, it's really impressive. I think it's definitely one of the, if not the best character-driven game I've, I've ever seen. Really. Yeah, yeah, and I think you, I think you've both brought up uh, good points there in terms of the morality of the characters. I mean, let, let's get into your experiences. I mean, Matthew, how how did you play as Geralt? I mean, were you the strong, silent type? Were you an absolute bell end? Were you? <laughs> did you like? Did you like going on blood sprees, or were you more of the relaxed type of Geralt? um yeah um for me i would say i I definitely wasn't uh going on blood sprees or anything but yeah there's not really like i was saying before there's not really that many um opportunities Mm. or that i found to go that far out of what Geralt's kind of morality would be himself it seems to me he kind of seems to be a guy who's always like he always weighs up the options and usually with the way the witcher 3 pans out you know something bad happens and then turns out something worse happens usually and then you've got to make your decision like oh there's a lot of moral ambiguity there like Mm -hmm. very rarely is it like oh someone's asking you to help them out and they're completely in the right you know there's always Mm -hmm. a a small decision to make but it's you know it's it's really kind of up in the air as to who uh, as to whose side you take like even with the monsters and the the humans and stuff a lot of the times it's the monsters themselves you're more you're more empathetic towards and stuff um so yeah i guess the way i kind of played it is yeah just in in what i thought Geralt's headspace would be is he's he's always trying to do the least amount of harm really he's trying to just just choose what he thinks the best option is and of course uh which has got to get paid so what whichever one gets gets the most money absolutely. as well absolutely absolutely uh, and and calming <clears throat> i think i think Matthew's bang on there in terms of there's it's not exactly mass effect where you can either go paragon or fucking lunatic but in terms of Geralt there's the little decisions that turn out to be huge decisions I mean how do what did you play like I mean what am I, what am I trying to think of 
who's the junior bloke who who tries to kidnap um, Siri, and then you can either kill him in the bath or leave him or what? It's like, do, do, do you get what I mean? Can you, were you the brutal type yeah, of yeah. Geralt or Geralt? Geralt. Um, so how, how was your experience, Carl, of, of, of playing as Geralt? Yeah, um, I mean, I think I think Matt Matt described it well when he said that there's not these massive swings. It's not like you could decide to to kill an entire village of people or or leave them alive. But there's you know, in in terms of the contracts specifically, and you know, certain contracts they're they're pretty cut and dry. You have this this horrible monster that's butchering people, and you've got to go kill it. But some of them, you know, there there might be it might be a person under a curse, and you know you you might have the the choice to to, and it might take a little longer, might take a little more effort on your part to go out of your way and lift that curse and kind of and save the person rather than just murder them or it could be like a ghost that you could you could do away with or or you could kind of resolve what's tying them to this world and i I think my sense was that Geralt would be the one to to take that extra little bit of time to kind of put them to peace or lift a curse or whatever he could do to help and I, it was interesting then when it finally came time to reading the books and obviously one of Geralt's earliest adventures covered in the book, which is also in the show. Spoilers if anyone hasn't watched the show, but is, is where you have that princess that is cursed and Geralt could either kill her or he could spend a night in the crypt to lift the curse and he chooses to risk his own life and spend the night in the crypt to lift the curse and then the process gets like half his neck torn off and almost dies mm. so i mean that's that's the kind of guy Geralt is that's the sense i got from him when i started playing the game and i think clearly in hindsight having read some of the books that is how Geralt is so i think it was really well portrayed in the game and i think uh, obviously i'm not going to judge anyone who kind of took the shortcuts and kind of partook in a bit more murder but don't think that's the way Geralt is supposed to be played. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think I think uh, Matthew mentioned it on his first play for he wanted to do every little detail and even the bigger stuff. Um, I always wanted the extra the extra side mission, the extra detail in a mission. Apart from the vampire serial killer one, which I fucked up on my first play for, because <laughs> um, I was not paying attention on that one. Um. Anything else on the, add on to Geralt? Because I think we've mentioned not a lack of personality, but the toughness of playing his personality. It's almost the characters around him are what per, makes the world come alive sort of thing, if you get what I mean. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think to, to get the, the best kind of sense of who Geralt is, you, you got to see how he interacts with his friends and and with his the the many women that he surrounds himself with because i mean he is in many senses a loner but you know as we've kind of made clear he's he's got a good soul and i think when he attaches himself to a person he's a very kind of loyal friend and you know we we get a sense of that when we see his interactions with with people um although and He's also a little bit of a man whore, you know. <laughs> that's, uh, Depends how you played him, Carl. So you played True, him. true, true. But I mean, if if you re- read the books, you kind of get that sense of him as well. But there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. I definitely, I, I think I, I literally betted everyone you could possibly bet in the game. 
Um, but I just that's again that's that's the way I I felt Geralt was supposed to be played, and that that's how I was driven to play him. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's important to, to kind of, which we're going to do, obviously discuss the other characters to get an even better sense of, of who Geralt of Rivia really is. Yeah. So let, let's start with, um, let's start with Siri then, because that's what the story, uh, revolves around. Well, obviously we'll get into the story itself and, and the bigger moments later on, but in terms of the, sur- the surrounding cast, I mean, Matthew, obviously, as we've all said, we've come into the, this game pretty much with a blank slate in terms of the Witcher franchise. And there's a character who's obviously turns out to be a huge character called Siri just kind of thrust upon us. Does she make like that much of an impact? Like in terms of long-term franchises, you gain to learn to care for characters, even if it isn't a video game setting. But the strange thing about this or the powerful thing about the Witcher three is like instantly you care about characters. And I think Siri's probably one of them because you're kind of learning about her in flashback, aren't you, most of the game? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'd agree completely. And um, I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying with you can see how much Geralt actually cares for Ciri. Mm. And um, because what we know of him so far, like that early on in the game, is that he is quite emotionless. The fact that he shows emotion for Ciri means that this is this is a really big deal, you know? So I think that's that also helps us get, like, attached to the character very quickly. And we're seeing flashbacks of her, you know, uh, as, a, as a child and stuff and training and all that stuff. So we feel like we've been with the character a lot longer than, than we, we have been at all in the game. Like, we're, we're not with Ciri for that much of the game at all. Um... But yeah, it leaves a massive impact. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Carl, I mean, Siri obviously grows the importance of the game and obviously the, there's rumours that that she will be probably one of the main, the main characters if there is ever another Witcher game and stuff like that. And rumours of uh, parts in cyberpunk and stuff like that. But do you think Siri has the scope to become the main character in a in a would you call it, still call it the Witcher, but if in a in a standalone game? Yeah, I think it would certainly be interesting. I mean, Siri is she's she's an interesting character. I mean, as you alluded to, initially we don't really get much direct experience of her. You know, it's it's almost we're we're getting little puzzle pieces about her because you know the the first chunk of the game you're you're basically retracking her footsteps trying to track her down that's that's the story and it's only kind of later in the game when you're reunited with her you kind of get more direct experiences with her and you know you you get to to kind of ultimately see how her her story ends um or at least how it ends for now as 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 possibly if we ever see a witcher 4 as you said there is suggestion she could be the main character i think she could possibly carry a game um I, I think it would be a very different game when we consider kind of the the powers that that siri has and i'm mm. sure we're going to get into that but um i, I definitely think she she is a, an interesting character i mean she's got you know Geralt. that as you alluded to as, as matt alluded to sorry Geralt is has a lot of care for siri he's basically he he is her father in 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 a sense he's in you know as people have watched the show have seen through the law of surprise he 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 basically is her 
he has claim to her as 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 her a daughter or whatever he wants basically and that's the sense he sees her as as his daughter he helped raise her trained her in the ways of the witchers um and i think for that reason siri is is reflective of Geralt. she 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 almost seems like a a, a, a young feminine Geralt. you know there's a lot of the same airs and graces about her um, you know, she she definitely the, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree when it comes to Siri. Like she's she's not quite as emotionless as as Geralt, but you can definitely see she she's learned a lot of his his mannerisms and his his attitude towards the world. And and you you get to further influence that um through how you interact with with Siri through through the game as well, which is 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 interesting. Um, you know, you so we're seeing kind of a real-time direct impact of that that father-daughter relationship um so no i i I'm, i really like the character of siri and I, i'd like to get her to know her better i mean obviously as you alluded to god we have gotten to know a bit more about her um in hindsight now having watched the show and read the books and you know it it, it only adds to to the the tragicness of the character mm. story i mean this is a girl that she's what late late teens early 20s and she's just her whole life has just been hardship you know kind of running away from she's she's been pursued most of her life first first by the nilf guardians and now by the the wild hunt and it's mm. you know it's, it's sad like it's you know almost i don't want her to become the protagonist of a game because i'd rather just think oh yeah she just <laughs> settled down and had a happy peaceful life she just wanted the good ending, but we'll get there. We'll get to what ended. But I mean, Matthew, what what do you think about the um, the system in the game that the ending revolves around how you treat Siri through the game? Because I mean, I fucked mine up, but <laughs> um, that it's such a unique um, system in a game, isn't it? In terms of how you treat another character. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'd like I hadn't thought a, an awful lot about the endings because like it's such a such a giant game. Like, um, you know, you're not really thinking about oh what, what what different endings am I getting and that kind of stuff. Like, I don't know what what endings you guys what what endings did you guys get for Siri? <laughs> uh, I've obviously done two playthroughs. The first time, I made I pressed the but wrong button once on one of the options, and that's why I did it again. I got the bad ending where she dies, and um, Geralt goes and gets the medallion back from the bog bitches, and then he dies in the bog. So yeah, no, we don't know he dies. We don't know he dies. We I'm just know a hell of a lot of I'm monsters. Pretty sure he's dead. <laughs> Come on. But I got that, and then I got the uh, the Witcher ending where you meet her in the pub. Yeah. So I've I've only finished it once. So for me, um, my ending, I think it was. Um, you know, she 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 definitely lives. I think she becomes she becomes the empress. I think. Yeah, if you yeah. Ta- if she you take her over. to if you take her to Emia, um, when you finally meet up with it, yeah, you get she becomes empress, and if you don't, she becomes a witcher. If you get the good endings, or she dies. <laughs> so hopefully, Carl now has another end. <laughs> yeah, that's the good end. Does he? <laughs> I. I did, yeah. I had the <laughs> where they meet in the pub and um, become 
um, which kind of witchers together, presumably, and go off and, and roam the, the world. Um, I, I think in part of your ending as well, which I'm sure we'll get to the, to the other part of it, uh, I suppose, when we discuss two other certain characters, Matt, um, you know, Geralt has somewhat of a happy ending in, in your 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 ending um which i'm I'm sure we'll, yeah. we'll get to yeah. depending on his relationship with two other characters dun, dun, dun. well let's get into that let's get into the the romance options um tris and yen and by extension let's say kira as well um but that's more of a one-time thing <laughs> uh, blunt question who'd you pick I think there's only one real answer here, isn't there? Yeah, let's it, let's it, see. It's Yennefer. It's it's Yennefer. It's not. I <laughs> I, I didn't, and I'm glad you brought Kira into it, guy, because I wanted Kira as a third option because Kira was my favorite by far. You know, I, I think I love the the romance scene with her, where she brings you this little fancy land for a picnic and runs off and leaves her clothes around. <laughs> you have to find her. And and obviously she comes back into the game later as well and, and helps you kind of in, in the, the big fight with the Wild Hunt. Um, so she was a character I really liked and, you know, I, I would have preferred her to be kind of an option as a final romance option, but unfortunately she wasn't. So for that reason, I actually went with Triss um, because, yes. I mean, I, I just wasn't a big fan. Of the, I'm not a Triss. I liked Triss as a character, but I, I just... I as I said, she wasn't my preferred option for romance, but um, she's she's a cool enough character. I think she's she's quite selfless, and you know she's she's a nice person, and she interacts well with all the other characters. Whereas I think Yen, you know, uh, Yen Yen's okay. Um, I mean, she she obviously cares for Geralt and cares for Ciri, kind of somewhat of a mother figure to Ciri, at least the closest thing she has to a mother figure. Um, you know, she's, and I think deep down, you know, Yen cares about the, the world in, in a similar sense to, to Geralt, but I think she's a little more selfish than Geralt and, and some of the other characters. And I mean, in hindsight, having read the books and stuff and, and knowing that, that Yen's a, a she's, she's a two timer. So I'm glad I didn't pick her. Yeah. Fucking bitch. <laughs> <laughs> My proper this is serious, me. serious lander. <laughs> Shouldn't be a bitch. <laughs> I mean, that is part of the character that she is actually a bitch. Um, yeah, as I said, I've done the two playthroughs. Uh, first one, I was a proper manslag. Did, did all did all the business, unicorn and all. Uh, second one, I, I picked a how I'd play it and loyal to Triss and all that. Avoided temptation and all that jazz. Um, so yeah, I've, I've I've always picked Triss, but if you if you played The Witcher two, she's yeah, she she's there. <laughs> uh, she's there. So there's probably that connection there for people who've played The Witcher too. She she's the the main romance option there. Um. So yeah, I mean, <sighs> there is a third option, guy. There's the there well, is the yeah, option the of miserable trying to get option. a yeah. a threesome with um both women and then ending up alone. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of players out there yeah. that went for that. Yeah, but uh, I, I didn't. Uh, no. I, di- I didn't want to take the the risk. As soon as I got that June mission, it was like fuck off, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I think like one of the best missions in the game. <laughs> I did. I did the mission, but she was, 
just got the ending where you just you just sit at the top of the mountain. No, no funny business. <laughs> um, but yeah, with Tris, it's she's part of the main storyline that she's in. Uh, what's the town called? Oh my god, what's the big city called? Uh, Novigrad. Novigrad, that's the one, and she's kind of the underground. Um safety keeper of, of all the people, isn't she? Um and then she tries to bugger off and you have to be very precise with what you say to her or she will leave you. So that was Googled beforehand. <laughs> um but yeah, Triss is for me. Um and yeah, it, it's good. But in terms of the the characters themselves, I mean it's all it's not all just about the romance and stuff like that. Um Mafia start with I mean Yen obviously she's Turns up quite early on in the game because that's pretty you're tracking her at the start, aren't you? And she's working with Nilfgaard to try and find Siri, uh, probably using it for selfish gains to find Siri and then betray Nilfgaard, you'd probably presume. But she's a big part of the game pretty much from the start. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, she shows up, yeah, quite early on, yeah, to get the whole ball rolling, I guess, on the plot. And then I think there is, seem to me anyway, there's quite a quite a big gap without mm. her. Then, and you don't you don't see her for. I think you do all the overgrad, don't you? I think that's yeah. It. And I think that that's pretty much the longest part of the game, I would say. Yeah. So she's kind of there at the start, and then like the final kind of third of the game. Um. Yeah, no, I'm really, I'm really stunned actually by the by the the opinions I'm hearing of Yennefer. It's just, it's just that <laughs> I don't really know. I guess it's just me. I was too too invested in Geralt's thoughts, and like it's that's definitely his. That's his. That's his love is is Yennefer to me anyway. I'll, I'll give you that. I, I couldn't argue against that. She she definitely I, is his preference. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you always get the sense of that in in the books and that. Absolutely, absolutely, but. In the books, it's not the same Triss, is it? Let's be honest. <laughs> it's, it's different. In the book, she's got brown hair, and this one, she's got red hair, and she's younger. So, you know. Um, happy days. Um, so, Carl, I mean, what about Triss? I mean, we've mentioned that she's kind of less of a bitch than Yen. But is that why she might be off-putting? I mean, obviously, Yen, more prickly, and there's a bit of a difference between Geralt, where, as you, as you mentioned, that... Triss is kind of almost a female counterpart of, of Yerald. She's very caring, but obviously shows a bit more emotion and stuff like that, done stuff for the greater good. It, 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 I think in, in parts of the game, they talk about maybe more of a sister-brother relationship to kind of make it weird for us who picked her. But it, can can you see that as she kind of more of like a sister figure in the, in the show? In, in the show, in the game? Yeah, I mean, uh, I I could definitely see that being a, a relationship that that would make sense between the the two characters because I think while I I said Jennifer definitely strikes you as the the kind of motherly figure towards Siri, you do kind of get the impression that like obviously Tris cares about her a lot too, and you know she could almost be like a an, an aunt or maybe a big sister almost to her because Triss seems at least is portrayed a little bit younger than Yen. Um, I, I think Triss is a character, as you, you, you said, she has a lot of parallels with Geralt, but with more emotion. Uh, I think, you know, she, she, she's, she's probably one of the, if not the character with the most emotion, you know, you can really, well, as we've touched upon, there's no denying Geralt cares about the little guy about, you know, defending the weak, all that kind of thing. 
Tris does as well, but she's a lot more vocal about it. She's a lot more emotional about it. And, you know, on the flip side as well, you know, as you said, she's a redhead. And I think at times we can see that the kind of stereotypical fiery redhead coming out of Tris. Um, you know, she's a character I really liked, which is, is probably why, uh, as I said, you know, I, I think it's it's funny that you said about that kind of potential brother-sister relationship. And I think that's why, despite really liking Tris as a character, why I wasn't that pushed towards pursuing the romance until I was like, I may as well, because I, I'd kind of neglected Yennefer and, and didn't really want to go down that route. But, but and because as I said, I, I thought Kira would be an option, but ultimately she wasn't. Um, and that's probably why, because I, I deep down, I've probably seen that relationship reflected more that, that they, they seem more like friends owned or kind of more of a, a familial relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm fully agreed. The fully agreed. Let's get into some more of the, mm, s- side cast let's say that's a, that's how we'll word it um <clears throat> i've noted down dandelion or dandelion as they call him in the book or yaski or whatever the hell they call him in the show but dandelion because i'm not a dickhead um <laughs> i mean it's kind of weird because he's not really he's pretty much just an, an annoyance in the game but if we kind of compare what we've seen in in the show he's got a hell of a tune because <laughs> that is a banger of a song Yeah, um, I mean, Dandelion, is, it, it is kind of confusing with the, the, the name, but nonetheless, it's very much the same character across the, the mediums. And I mean, he's a, he's, a, he's a kind of an interesting foil to, to Geralt, you know, kind of the, the sidekick character. Now, he's not as much of a sidekick in the game because he's, he's not really with you that often, but you can kind of tell he's probably, I mean, no one would argue with him, uh, saying that he's Geralt's best friend, you know he's he's his best buddy, and although they're they're like chalk and cheese, they they couldn't be more different, except potentially having womanizing in 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 common. Although Dandelion is a lot more kind of out there with it, um, they're they're so different yet they connect so well and, and you get a sense of that friendship once you are reunited with Dandelion later in the game. You can tell he, he annoys Geralt, but Geralt loves him and would, would do anything for this best mate of him. And all the, we, we, you know, having read the books and that, you can tell Dandelion gets him in a lot of scrapes and, and you see that in the game as well. You know, sometimes Dandelion, he, he often speaks before he thinks and gets himself in trouble and Geralt has to to dig him out and you know he, he offers kind of a comic relief to the game at times as well because you know the, this game is, is it can be very dark at times very drab there's a lot of death there's a lot of sorrow there's a lot of you know it's not a game where you're walking around the city streets and villages and that and getting a sense that everyone is is, is great you know that a lot of these people live in poverty a lot of these people are literally threading and shit you know that's the kind of life state they live and i think that the game can be you know almost depressing at times and i think dandelion kind of adds a bit of kind of he brightens things up and, and adds some some comic relief yeah yeah absolutely and matthew this kind of like leads on to a quest more than anything but i think one of the the biggest and most important characters is the baron 
like I don't think he has mentions in the book or previous games and stuff like that. But the quest line and his impact in his development as a character, it's it's one of the first big storylines, but Christ, it's one of the most powerful as well. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think that's kind of when you first start playing The Witcher, I think that's probably the point when you get to and you're just like, whoa, this is actually something completely different to, to other games I've played with with how how deep it goes into his characterization and um um and his backstory and then it's he's also like like you said these are these are kind of the side characters these are people we we just we pick up and leave from afterwards this isn't like someone that's going to be following you around for the rest of the game this is just some some baron and his own um dealing with his own problems in his own uh, in his own land you know um so yeah like that whole uh, bloody baron um side side quest but i guess it's not technically a side quest because mm. you need um it's definitely part of the core quest because yeah. it's um related to siri um but yeah no definitely one of the one of the better side side quests in the game and better characterizations um that you'll see um yeah, I don't know what what did you think of it like. Yeah, I think I think you I think you spot on where like I think the 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 first stuff where you're hunting the griffin that's all that's all just normal gameplay. It's like oh you go here do this. There's no real impact or anything like that. And then you finish the Baron storyline and it's like oh oh I fucked up. <laughs> yeah, you're getting into yeah. <laughs> really dark places with yeah. like you know, like domestic issues and like, um, you know, um, is it there? There's like a, he loses a child and that kind of stuff, isn't it? So yeah, it's really kind of can get really dark really quickly. And, um, um, in some of these side quests, you know, when it's willing to go like to those extremes, you know, like, well, this is not something you see, see every day, you know, in a game. Absolutely. I mean, did did how did your Baron storyline go? Did he did he die or did he survive? Well, say survived. He buggered off into the mountains with his missus. How how did yours go? Um, he definitely he. I think he died actually, or he or he left. You know, he's definitely not not still mm. around. I'm not really too sure on the you, how did the, you the, the good way the the positive way to resolve it. You know. Yeah, I think. Well, he either hangs himself. Because his missus gets turned into a water hag, or he yeah. he goes find a doctor in the mountains with his missus. Uh, yeah, my my first playthrough yeah. was pretty bad. He hanged himself. <laughs> yeah, was, I, I think he... that might have been what happened to me because mm. I think she's tied in. Like everything's kind of tied in. Like she's tied into all the. Yeah. Did you free the, the fire horse? Stuff. Yeah. Did you fight? Did you release the spirit of the tree or whatever the fuck it was called? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think I must have. Yeah, yeah, he's hella dead. Then, <laughs> yep, uh, yep, yep, he's dead. Um, but yeah, all these, all these little kind of moral choices that you're making along the way, and you're like, it's gonna hurt someone down the line, you know. And that's the thing. I mean, when you're first playing through, I mean, me and you've obviously got you've played it kind of once and a half. I've played it twice, or twice and a half. Um, and you start thinking about the game, but on your first playthrough, you're just like, oh, I'm going to help the Baron, I'm going to help the heart, the fucking, the the bot, the water bog bitches, and it'll be all fine. And then it's like, oh, oh, it's that type of game. 
It's a mass effect. You have to think about shit. (laughs) It's not easy to kind of navigate from the information you have at the time, like which which is going to be the one where it's all sunshine and rainbows and everyone makes it out of here okay like it's a lot hmm. it's a lot harder to know the consequences of your actions sometimes absolutely and carl how did your baron baron go yeah i mean the baron's a very interesting character and a, and a very kind of it's it's a really striking kind of intro to, to kind of the kind of game it is as you alluded to guy i mean you're hearing about this baron and he just sounds like your run-of-the-mill kind of selfish leader and then you meet him and it you you slowly he's humanized you know you you find out that that him and his wife had a stillborn child um you know obviously then you you can choose to to kind of do a ritual to transform that baby from this twisted creature into like this this light spirit that helps you find its mother um and then obviously the mother is is sick and you know you you can then ultimately send her off into the mountains with the baron to seek help which is the ending i got um which i, I suppose is a good ending but it's not so good when you consider what the people have <laughs> you're been just through sure like, enough. You, you got the good ending of the whole game you got that ending oh, God. i put i put a lot of a lot of thought and time into this game but um it, it's like it's still sad like I, I got that ending but you still go away from the baron like feeling sorry for him and his wife and because they, they lost a baby and you know and you, you feel guilty because you you know you're you're hearing about this guy in the background you're thinking oh, he sounds like a dick and then you meet him and you find out he's he's a normal human who's been through the, the trials and tribulations of life and and that's kind of affected the path he's taken and, and how he is now so I mean, it was a real striking kind of intro section to the game, and and the Baron obviously is a very important character in shaping that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And once you get into Novigrad, which is after that, you kind of that's when you're introduced to Triss, obviously, and that's when Dykstra gets involved. He, he's kind of he's almost a villain as well, isn't he? Or he turns into a villain, but. <sighs> The whole storyline with Dykstra, I mean, he introduces some great characters like Bart the Rock Troll, who guards his treasure, <laughs> who's the best character in the game. Um, <clears throat> what, what did you what, what did you make of the Novigrad setting? I mean, that's very broad and stuff like that, but feel free to touch on Radovid and, and Dykstra and Triss and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I was going to mention as it should really maybe even be in as a character as just the city itself. Like, it was... Mm. Like the city of Novigrad is probably like one of the most well fleshed out, yeah, you know, cities in a game I think I've ever seen. Um, and yeah, a, a lot of the game takes place there. And uh, yeah, the characters like Dijkstra and stuff you see there, you see the completely different sides to the city. And you've got like the poor areas and the docks and stuff. And you've got like uh, the the big bathhouse and stuff that he's that he's known for and all of his schemes and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think yeah, characters like that really bring um bring that that city to life and yeah, there's like so much to really say really about Novigrad and you know with the the witch hunters and that kind of stuff, mm. all the the racism and all the, you know, segregation almost and that kind of stuff, you know, between the 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 humans and non-humans and mages and all that stuff. Yeah, you could really go down a big rabbit hole, I think just about the city itself as well as the the characters you meet there yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, shall, shall we get political, Carl? <laughs> shall we get on to Radovid? Yeah, um, I mean, I think with the, the, the as Matt, Matt said, the, the city of Novigrad, you could, could almost take it as a, a character itself. And I mean, I think that's where, while the whole Baron section is, is new, feels new and fresh and like, you know, you're experiencing it with Geralt for the first time. I think Novigrad is the first time where you kind of get a sense where you're, you're stepping into existing shoes more so because you know a lot has gone on with these characters, with, with Dykstra and um, Philippa Earhart and um, Radegard, you know, you, you know, there's a lot of history there, a lot of kind of politics. And obviously, in hindsight, now we know that these characters play a, a big part in the second game. And, you know, especially Philippa Earhart is a massive character in that game. And, you know, we know obviously that decisions have been made in the past by. Geralt in regards to these characters and they have kind of existing opinions and takes on Geralt and obviously then we get to further influence and almost put our own stamp on it as as in the way we interact with them moving forward um, now in terms of the decisions made I mean it was tough you know like I, I you know obviously Dykstra as a, as a character he's he's very much in it for himself I mean he'll 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 help Geralt when it suits him to help Geralt but he'll just as quickly turn his back on him or anyone else when that's what suits him because I never ever found his out. money I never find his money so he never sends help on the big mission it's a prick <laughs> <laughs> I, I I believe I did um, but nonetheless he's, he's not a character you particularly like but he's a character you, you can because just as important as all the kind of characters we've discussed so far that are friends of girls and I'm, I'm sure there's still one or two that we'll get into on the kind of good side let's say you know that there, there needs to be other characters that balance that out and and kind of offer kind of a a, a darker side of things and obviously Dykstra is one of those and you know but he's not a out and out evil which you know I always like those characters mm. that you know they're not good but they're not out and out evil they're just selfish is the best way to, to describe them. Um, you know, as for the kind of the, with Radegard and, and Philip Earhart and the decisions you make there, um, I kind of went more to the side of Philippa Earhart because, you know, knowing that she was blinded and that um, maybe some of Geralt's past actions had some influence on that, I, I almost felt guilty. I mean, she's clearly not the, the nicest of characters either, mm. um, but I I kind of went on her side. But I think that's, that's, that's what's great about this kind of trifecta of characters in Novigrad is, you know, obviously Triss is there as well, and Triss is very much the force for good. But in terms of these characters that you're you're picking between and in Novigrad almost that are playing you Geralt off against each other, you know, in, in Radegard, Philip Earhart, and Dykstra, none of them are good. You know, they're all kind of they're all kind of assholes, to be honest. Mm. And it's almost like Geralt is making a choice between the lesser of three True, evils yeah. type thing. And that's really well portrayed in the game. I mean, it, it's not like you're you're just plucking that out. That that's made clear to you in, in the way Geralt interacts with these characters. I, I don't think he likes any of them particularly. No, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
what 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 would your uh, political landscape end up like then, Matthew? I mean, who was who was left in charge of Novograd? Was did you succumb to Nilfgaard or did you side with D- Dijkstra? What happened in yours? Um, I think it, it all kind of ended up Novograd related in in my um uh, in my playthrough, as what happens with like the the schemers like Radovid and and Dijkstra, they all want you on their side, and then uh, you know you do one thing and then they're very quick to betray you. So mm. you end up on the wrong side of them very easily. Uh, and bad things, bad things happen. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think, yeah, everything kind of ended up Nilfgaard related for me. Um, it seems in, in my playthrough, like I, mm. I definitely had a soft spot for the, the Temerians. Yeah. Um, like it's very, very clear, even just from being dropped in, dropped into the game and you you don't really know what what might have happened in the past and they're they're telling you all about how they've been displaced and that kind of stuff and they're just trying to fight to get their territory back and that kind of stuff and i think they they're the ones really where maybe they're still they're still fighting for their own cause but they're not as bad i don't think as the others so i think i tried to um i think i tried to help them and to make some deal with with Nilfgaard to get a bit of their a bit of their um their land back. Yeah, that was the same for me. I mean, when I think when Dijkstra betrays you um, at that playhouse thing, I can't remember his bloody name. Uh, the bloke who you help, uh, the White Lilies bloke. I'm sure people know who I'm on about. Um, yeah, I I killed Dijkstra then. And, Radovid had to go. He, he he was trying to kill Yen and Truth. I couldn't be having that business. Carl, <laughs> um, how was your political landscape? Any? I helped Dijkstra, so um, you know, Novogad kind of ended, I suppose, in independent. Um, I, I just again, it, it's just that that complete sense of of lesser evils there there wasn't really uh, an ideal solution there um you know it, it's kind of something you do but you do with gritted teeth you know you you do with, with kind of you, you you do it a heavy heart almost it, it was one of those decisions where you know un, unlike with the the baron as i said with the baron story it ends and, and you still kind of feel sad for him and thing but you, you got what you felt was a the best possible ending for it but i think with novigrad as far as the decision goes there's no ideal solution there's no clear force for good you know there's no real resistance i felt that you you could kind of help out and kind of liberate the city and it's suddenly like a great and happy place i didn't feel there was that option so that's why i did what i did Interesting, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nilfgaard pretty much won at mine, <laughs> um, but they they kept the Nov. I think they kept it as Northern Realm, so that was it was almost happy ending. Um, so yeah, that's the political landscape. Obviously, we don't want to go heavy on racism stuff, but albeit against mages and stuff, but it's very transferable to real life. Let's just say that. Um, other side, I mean, we haven't mentioned Vesemir yet, but like by extension, shall we mention Vesemir and the, shall we call it the payoff mission to the first half of the game? I mean, what a mission and what a moment, Matthew. 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The payoff mission is this is the mission I'm thinking of. Is this the, K- the big one? Yeah, K- the, the, big, the big bat, the big battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. What to say about the battle? Yeah, it's of like. Yeah, it definitely is the big culmination of of the as you said first half of the game. You get so many characters, well, however many that you haven't um, that you haven't betrayed in some way to come help you defend Kermoran from the the wild hunt, which we haven't really mentioned at all, considering um, that's the name of the game, which is yes. the wild hunt. <laughs> we haven't mentioned them once, I don't think. Um, yeah, yeah, and then obviously the in the big um the big climax of that is uh our boy Vesemir's um final moments. <laughs> and a devastating devastating moment for Siri as well as as she kind of takes it as it, it being her own fault cuz the the wild hunts after her really they're not after the witcher the the other witchers, you know, they just want her. So yeah, yeah, big big moment and is Definitely, a lot of um, character development goes into the uh, Vesemir and the Witchers. I think before that, you know, you've got a lot of kind of quiet kind of missions with the the other Witchers, with with Lambert, um, Eskel, and um, uh, and Vesemir b- building up when you're you're building up your kind of defenses to mm-hmm. defend um, Kermorn and um, and if you do some of the side quests around there, I think those are some of the most um informative ones in the game you know you're seeing all these these old fortresses where you know witchers used to be and you're you're seeing all these old um all these old um uh laboratories and stuff where they did the experimentations you know where um the kids went through the 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 mutagens the trial of grasses the trial of grasses and stuff like that and i think that that really fleshed out the the story of 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 all of the witchers um you know you can see how well this is like how how Geralt and the other the other witchers ended up in this in this state you know you can really see how 
like um, how they'd end up like this, uh, especially Lambert for me because of you know how much of a dick he kind of is to you throughout mm. the um the story, or he was to me. And then when you hear kind of his backstory, you know of you know being a kid and then taken away and, and mm-hmm. going through all these trials and stuff, you really do really do feel for and you know each of the witches have gone through this and then it's it's devastating eventually when um you know seeing how they react as well to to vesemir's death like these um um supposedly emotionless witchers um feel so much for vesemir because he's kind of like their um their um father figure. father figure yeah. you know yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and carl i mean that the Battle of Carnor, and I mean, there's so there's so many side stories. Uh, as I, I kind of alluded to, Deeks doesn't send you help if you don't get his money back. Uh, Emir doesn't give you uh, help if you don't go see him, and and stuff like that. Uh, when you find Siri, and then there's so, so much things like Kira Met. She can either bugger off with that scroll for the undead thing, or she can come help you which then leads on to Lambert dying and stuff like that. There's so many knock-on effects. And even Triss, if you don't help, if you don't convince her to come back, she goes she um goes back to Corvia, I think it is. Um so it's such a huge mission. Um and it's pretty it's pretty much halfway through the game, if that. It, yeah. It's huge. I mean it, it's yeah, I mean it, it's the the mission you know itself it really frames uh, you know a lot of things that we haven't spoken about yet or or things that we're building up to and i mean that that's what the the game is that mission is in the game it's kind of a culmination of all the things you've done so far as you said you know on on who's going to help you who's going to show up um fortunately for me a lot of people showed up kira tris um certainly were there um which which gave me false hope that kira would yet become a um a romance option but then she seems to kind of lean a little bit more towards lambert unfortunately but um i, I think you know w- one thing that it frames well Kermorn is um vesemir as you alluded to you know obviously we, we get a bit of experience of him earlier on in the game with the fighting the, the griffin um, you know, he, he's a father figure to Geralt and indeed to the other witchers to a sense. He's, he's almost like a grandfather figure to Siri. It's funny, a lot of the characters we've talked about how, you know, we kind of talk about them in a sense of their relationship to Siri. And I think that's important because she is kind of this, this point that connects them all along with Geralt, of course. But I think in, in this kind of family, you know, that that's the, the position Vesemir feels as, as the grandfather. You know, you can tell he cares about people. He wants to protect them. Just, and despite his age, you know, he'll put his body on the line. And, and he ultimately pays the, 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 the worst price he could possibly pay, pay with his death. And I, I think, you know, that kind of family image, that's the image I got of that mission of, of Kaer Morhen, that this is a family protecting their own. As, as you said, Siri feels a lot of guilt about that. But, you know, of course these people are going to protect her because of their connections to her and Geralt, who's, who's her father. You know, this is a family that are, are protecting their own against the odds. And as Matt said, we, we hadn't yet actually mentioned the wild hunt, but I, I think that that's not surprising in the sense that up until this point, and, and even a little bit beyond this point, the, the wild hunt are almost this mystery. They're this supernatural force, you know, which which frames, you know, kind of 
their bases that they are based on the the wild hunt of lore which which was this this supernatural force that would just arrive out of nowhere and 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 wreak havoc and and that's what they do they're they're in this armor the real dark and shadowy we we don't really know they're real dehumanized and i know they're technically not humans they're elves but they don't even seem like humanoids. They seem almost demonic. And it's only kind of beyond this later on in the game that we mm. see some sort of more of a humanized side to them. We learn who they are more so and, and what they are. And we get to see kind of their unmasked faces of of Eredin and, and his uh, various right and left-hand men. And, I mean, that's the, that's the, the sense you get building up to this. this they're this supernatural force how are you going to stop them i mean it makes the Nilfgaardian forces look like nothing i mean even they fear the wild hunt and they're mm. this massive empire you know that it's it's crazy to think that that you know kind of the Nilfgaardian army that you hear about in the earlier witcher materials are nothing compared to the wild hunt they're, they're, they're like bugs that could be crushed by them and and that's kind of the force that Geralt and Ciri face it's 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 almost unsurmountable odds, but somehow they they find a way around it. And I mean, it's you it's a real tense battle moment. A lot of these kind of big missions in these kind of games that are built up to fall flat, in my opinion. But Caremorn mm. doesn't. I, I think it, it's the build up to it is fantastic, and it's the mission itself doesn't let that build up down like it, mm. it, it carries on a build it's, it's a huge payoff and although the game goes on beyond that that's kind of a mission that that's left with you for for the remainder of the game and and beyond the only get the only mission i can think on a different game is comparable to it is the suicide mission on mass effect 2 that's the only thing i can think is a similar level to this mission where there's so many stakes, there's so many characters you have to look after and care for. It's it, that's the only thing I think it compares to. Um, and that's probably one of my favourite missions, if not my favourite mission in gaming. So for a mission that's not even the last mission of a game like this, that is huge. That is huge. Um, but you did on there, Matthew. I mean, we've not really mentioned the Wild Hunt, and I agree with Carl's the reason for that because they're not really that important to this point in the story but as a villain do you think they work i mean they almost become i don't know towards the end they almost kind of seem like a secondary piece where you have to learn about that the the real enemy is what they call it the bifrost and it's all about training siri to defeat that and stuff like that it just seem they almost become a secondary piece when they should by the looks of them they should be like fucking terrifying yeah yeah no i think they're actually handled um very well i think carl described that um i guess their presence at at caremoran um pretty aptly that at that stage they're more of like a a force of nature that it feels like completely unstoppable and then over the remaining game they do kind of get more more humanized and you you see them without the masks and stuff and then you you're slowly starting to take them down i I think they're actually handled um, very well and that it it eventually feels possible by the end of the the game that we can we actually can just defeat them you know mm. whereas uh, at that point i care more and it seems it seems impossible um but yeah and then they kind of i guess they get um 
their own kind of development in that oh they're maybe they're not just evil for evil's sake they're they're trying to do this they're trying to get siri for their own reasons for what they think is right for um to um um to um use her power for their own ends but not necessarily and just to purely destroy the destroy the world evil way that you'd see in in most games you know so yeah i think they're handled them um, very well and it's a nice kind of turn at the end that you know they're they are kind of the real bad guys but maybe there's something bigger mm-hmm. bigger behind it you know yeah and, and that kind of leads us on to avalak who is oh my god what's the li- what's he called when he's a disfigured little thing oh uh, 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 yeah uma that's it that's, it. that's so good what a legend um so that leads us on to avalak and uma I, it, it's so interesting. I mean, when when once you saw Uma at, at the Baron's place, I imagine most people thought that's not that's not the end of that thing. <laughs> but to have him lead into such an important character who teaches Siri, maybe is a bit of a devious little prick as well. Um, he's kind of such an important character, but he's only in the game for a short amount of time, or at least as as Avalak. Um, but he's not in it that much, is he? But he's huge in the end because, well, you think it, I was gearing up to fucking batter him at the end, but it turns out he's trying to sit, help save the world. <laughs> uh, I'll go with Carl for that one. Should say. Yeah, um, Avalok obviously is is an interesting character because he himself is another elf. He's you know he's from. Mm. Um, He's also he's from the same place as the Wild Hunt, and I mean, it, it he kind of acts as as a foil to them because it's easy when you see this invading force to just paint them as as completely evil and that this evil race, but then you have Avalok who is in the face of that being kind of a force of good and kind of wanting to protect Siri and and help her, and you know, the I'm gonna probably pronounce it badly but that the the anl as as the the elves are, are called and and um in fact their, their nationality that the city they supposedly come from that that uh Eredin and avalok come from is tirnalia which is a, a clear reference to our own irish mythology and and tirnanog um you know clearly they're not all the same you know they're not all cut from the same cloth that their own people and they all deal with the tragedy of losing their world in their own way i mean because that that's what's happened here their world was destroyed by this this force and turned into like just a frozen wasteland and that's why they want to invade this world and and take it over and, the, and they need series power to do that but avalok you know, despite the tragedy, the loss of his own world, what he's gone through, you can you can only imagine the amount of family and friends and stuff he's he's lost. He, he's not chosen to take the same path as his own people, and and he's trying to work against what they're trying to do. And you know, in that sense, I think he's such an important character because he gives you this other side of the coin to the. To these people that we see almost as, as I said, an evil invading force. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it'd be it'd be interesting to see if if there is a fourth witch game, whether it is Siri or Geralt, 
you'd imagine he'd play a bigger part, especially if it's Siri. And I'm sure, as you've uh, listened or read to, read the books, Carl, that I mean, his first introduction, he's a bit of a nonce. <laughs> he's living in a cave and he has monsters with him. So he's a bit of a weirdo, but uh, it's interesting. Um, maybe that'll translate over into the TV show and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, let, let, let's talk about the story itself, because we've kind of mentioned the Baron, uh, Radovid, uh, Novigrad and stuff like that, and up to the Battle of, of Kaimorn, but there's... So many other places. I mean, we haven't mentioned Skellige, which is a whole new political system over there. Uh, everyone combining to take on the Wild Hunt, as I meant, as I said a second ago, the the Bifrost thing uh, and, and Siri and stuff like that. So, Carl, in terms of the the second half of the story, let's say post Battle of Kaimorn, I mean, it just kind of, it kind of. It's like a twist of protecting Siri, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, we have to unify the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's clear that as as Kaer Morin shows, you know, you, you are up against this insurmountable force, and, and this force, as I said, they want to invade and take over this world, so clearly the world has to do its part to defend itself, or else all are doomed, and that's kind of what what it's about is you know as we said the whole game paints the wild hunt as this this force that you just can't simply stand up to you know even as strong as Geralt is and I think that's that's something important to discuss in regards to Geralt that we, we didn't quite touch on really unlike a lot of the heroes in these games a lot of the heroes in these games almost feel like gods you know not just because you can obviously scale up and become quite powerful but they're, they're almost framed that way that the Dovahkin in in um in obviously Skyrim mm-hmm. and uh, the hero in Kingdoms of Amalur who kind of came back from the dead and can stop time and all this stuff. There's kind of a god sense to them. And while we, Geralt, you know, he is a witcher, he's a, a mutant as, as they're, they're referenced and, you know, he can use these potions and stuff to, to make him more powerful. But he's only one of many witchers that, and there, there's witchers and creatures and, and things like that that are stronger than Geralt. He, he's not a god you know, and and the wild hunt as a whole are a lot more powerful than than Geralt. You know, even even without their just thinking about their sheer numbers. So you know, you got to be smart about it. And uh, I think obviously one part of the the latter part of the game, which is which was one of my favorite missions, was where you find out that the the crones are kind of throwing this kind of ritual. Uh, that's going to involve a, a lot of kind of creatures on the dark side, and that that the wild hunt are going to be guests there. And then you you go um, to take on um, Eridan's general, whose name completely um, escapes me. Um, either of you got it there? Keep talking. But yeah, and you find him, and and this is as I said before, up until now they were these armored, you know, kind of shadowed figures, and we didn't really know who they are. But then Imlarith. we find this guy. What is it? Imlarith. Imlarith. Yeah, I should have should have remembered that. Um, but you find Imlarith, and he's like chilling up on this this like almost throne type chair, and he's swilling beer, and he's you know partying with all his creepy 
companions and you know uh, and we get to see that that uh, that he actually is a humanoid that that he's got kind of motivations and you know the the sensibilities of, of other humanoid characters and, he, and he's not just this shadowy mute figure and then we get to kick his ass but i mean it's 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 not it, it's never it's it, like the fight itself again as i touched on like Geralt isn't a god he's not this all-powerful figure and you know you feel like this is a fight where he's fighting a stronger guy you know what I mean that this is you know Imlarith is is stronger than Geralt but Geralt's got to use his street smarts and his you know his also his drive just his pure drive I think that ultimately Geralt has more motivation to win that fight and and kill Imlarith um, and ultimately he does, and I, I think that's. But these those fights, you know, it's 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 almost hard to put it in words. But I mean, I I just feel those fights they feel real in comparison to to fights in similar mm. games. It, it, it's so tense, and it's so I can just I can even now think back. I can remember how excited I was during that fight. You know how. It's just such a tense experience, and I just I can't praise it enough how how enjoyable those those fights and and the overall mission is. I mean, uh, and then uh, to side to that, then you have Siri, and she has her part to play in that mm. mission. I mean, what what was your take on the mission, Matt? Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's really interesting that you uh, bring up that mission um, because I was actually going to bring up um, one of the other missions for one of the other generals, which I thought was my favorite but for for that particular mission um yeah i think it's really um it's really interesting how all of a sudden they do get humanized and you kind of learn about their personalities and and this particular general is um i think he's they they describe him as being a bit a bit vain and a bit of a party guy or whatever that's why he's going to be at this celebration so it's a a nice little uh um nice little um um, bit of characterization to like to like get get you in there and get you into the the head of these these characters and um yeah it's more that second half of the game when um not only do you have to unite everyone to take on the wild hunt you have to use use they have to use their smarts in order to like divide and kind of conquer as well to kind of pick off the generals and stuff um and the mission I was going to mention was um, the one where you you actually convince convince a different general that um, like he's doing the wrong thing by supporting um, Eredin, the leader of the Wild Hunt, because oh, you, he yeah. um, he he um, he killed their their previous king. And I thought that was just like that was really good in the sense mm. that 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 these are these aren't just like the generic. Um, bodyguards of of a of a leader these are actual people with their own motivations um for doing what they're doing and the fact that you could actually convince one of their their top generals to no longer support no longer support the leader um i thought was like a, a really impactful part of the story um and then it's one of those moments where it really swings it swings it back like oh they, this this is possible that you can defeat this um um what seemed uh insurmountable before uh force you know um yeah so that that's kind of how how i saw it yeah the 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 missions towards the end just really kind of um uh ramp up and yeah 
uh, they kind of have two kind of climactic endings because we're saying like care more and that mm. that that mission itself could be a, a, a final mission in any game or rival a final mission in any game. So they really had to do um, some very smart stuff to to build up another another kind of crescendo to the game, you know? Well, let's talk about the last mission. I mean, I, there's a couple of things. We've obviously skipped over probably like 50 hours of content, but we only have so many hours in the day in the podcast. Nobody's going to want to listen to a seven-hour podcast. But... Um, Obviously, the last mission, it, it's all about trapping the wild hunt on the Isles of Skelliger and, and, and trapping them. And then part of it you're playing as Geralt, part of it you're playing as Ciri. She, I think she attacks the... Uh, she beats up the... Oh, I can't remember his fucking title. The staff one who can teleport and yeah, do magic. The one and with stuff. The staff, yeah, Yeah, she obviously batters him, which is... Quite easy on on normal. I, I think people play it on hard and stuff. Probably have other description. But then you're playing as Geralt, and I think this is where you, uh, the points you've both brought up. It's where Geralt feels a lot weaker towards the end of the game uh, because there's everyone is huge and everyone has super abilities. Um, and and this is where it is because Siri just kills everyone pretty quickly, and Geralt is like, I'll catch up after I've sliced this person about eighteen times. Um, but it do, it does build up to the fight between Geralt and Eredin, and he can obviously do all this dimensional vortex bullshit. <laughs> You're just stood there. I can shoot fire. <laughs> but uh, Carl, what what did you make of the final boss fight, and then by extension the ending with Avalak and Siri? Yeah, um, I mean, I. I... I, I think as, as you know, as, as we've been discussing the, the the build up where you're you're kind of dividing and conquer, you take out the, the generals and and get to know those generals, and then ultimately that that um, cascades with which you're taking on Eredin, and you know it's it's another great fight which which feels like it it has a, a weight to it, and I mean again you 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 know I I just love it. I mean it seems weird to love the fact that your character gives off a sense of weakness but i mean i i that's what i really appreciated with this and i think it's, it's really well portrayed throughout this second part of the game when, when you're taking on the wild hunt so i, I loved how, how it was all wrapped up in in the final fight um and i mean the, the, the as as we've we touched on earlier because i mean we almost went in reverse here and talked about that the ending early on um i mean i i I just as throughout with the whole game, I, I just I just love how it's 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 never quite kind of a complete happiness. You know, like you you can get the good ending like I did or, or like you did on your, your second go guy and you still it's it's not good, you know. A, a lot of people died up to this point. You know, there was we encountered a lot of hardship, a lot of suffering people, you know, I, I don't think Geralt goes away from this happy, and I, I don't think while well, while well, a player goes away happy in the sense that they enjoyed the game, I, I don't think they go away with that that sense in in regards to to how what they experienced because it, it's a, it's a sad game, but it, it's a it's sadness that that you can appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Matthew, your thoughts on the on the last mission, and then we'll pick out some personal favorite stuff and. We have to talk about Gwent, obviously. Oh, uh, yeah. 
best card game. Um, yeah, for for the for the final missions, um, I think what really impressed me with the the ending was actually the 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 fights themselves were you know quite challenging. Like you were saying about you feeling like a feeling more like a like a human against kind of an almost demigod kind of that kind of a challenge. Um, um, but what I found impressive, which usually I don't like in most games, are the times when um, you know the the game is um, taken out of your hands. Like a lot of the actual um, cinematics and stuff, where I thought were actually quite quite cool and quite impressive. You know, when a you know, in, especially in series fight when she's fighting the whatever named general with the staff when they're they're both teleporting around and stuff and deflecting each other's attacks. Actually, usually in in games when when um the action is kind of taken out of your hands usually it's it's to the detriment of the game and it's it's a lot worse than you know just let me play the game you know kind of thing but um i think in in this the it actually did kind of ramp up the spectacle towards the end and uh was really quite impressive you know and there's a few moments as well in uh in in girls fight with Eridan where he's like throwing you through portals and stuff and you're going to different places and that kind of stuff which i thought was really um really quite cool um yeah yeah so that... the the one with the staff actually just 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 has popped into my head uh current there he's actually avalok's son isn't he is he yeah yeah, yeah that's... He... well it's it's kind of weird because he was some they... kind of uh I don't an think experiment they, or something. Or yeah, they something they don't like breed that. in the way that humans breed. You know, they they kind of they're kind of they they reproduce in a weird kind of almost scientific way, almost like test tube babies. But but technically, he he comes from Avalak, so that's it's kind of a it's not really. I don't think it's that well explored in the game. I don't, I don't think it, you know maybe that's just giving us a reflection of how they treat it you know it's not like he's my son but um i, I always thought that i thought that was kind of a, a funny thing when it when it comes out like it's going to be interesting weird aside there that. i did not know that interesting interesting um so i mean in terms of favorite missions i think you've mentioned uh the both the generals but is there any smaller missions that you really loved i mean for example i love the the Gwent tournament where it turns into like a, a mystery and about money and stuff like that. I, 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 they're the little things that I enjoyed. And also the little characters, I think I mentioned him earlier, Bart, who is Dijkstra's bodyguard for the sewers. And then he gets taken by Philippa uh, later on in the game and you have to talk him down and stuff like that. They're the little things that make me love this game more than the big grandstanding stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, that 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 is like you know we we've largely focused on the main story there because there's so much to get through. But you know, as as I think Matt alluded to very early on in in the chat we've had here, that there's so much to do and you you feel this drive to do it all. And while a lot of side quests and games are just fetch quests and you know real monotonous, I think every quest, which is bizarre. But to, to think it like every quest is thought out in, in The Witcher. And uh, I've lo- watched a lot of documentaries on the development of this game and that. And they, they talk about that a lot. And, you know, one of the early missions obviously involves like the 
the river spirit. Uh, I forget what they're called, um, but I'm not going to look it up at this stage. But you, you know the one I'm talking about, you know, and, and you know, it, it gives you kind of that sense of how a lot of these magical creatures aren't necessarily monsters. You know, they're not evil. They're not inherently evil. And we know Geralt has kind of a code where you won't kill them. So you kind of get to, to help out and, and befriend this this little creature. And, and that's a side quest. That's not something you have to do. Um, and that's, there's a real weight to, to every quest in the game. And that's something I appreciate as a whole. Um, in terms of kind of missions, just to, to, to name a mission I, I liked particularly, you actually mentioned it earlier in the game, which is, you know, when, you, when you're in Novigrad, the, the um, vampire that's like mm. murking everyone. Like, I mean, I, I, that that is right up my alley kind of a mystery kind of a you know a vampire as well i, I love vampires and, and the, the lore about them so i mean that that would be a, a personal favorite of mine it was just i thought it was a great little little story within a story and i forgot to mention the one where you have to help the rock troll find some paint trollalol or whatever his name is he, the hero who lives just outside novigrad i think it is or oxenfurt or whatever it's called um we have not mentioned Roach because I am looking <laughs> I'm looking at some characters and I forgot about Roach. He's the best horse in a game. Um Oh, there is that mission where you get high on mushrooms and Roach talks to you. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> that was that was an experience. <laughs> uh yeah. Absolutely. But um Matthew, any other any Smaller quest that we've not mentioned you'd like to mention? Um, yeah, for me, the one that comes to mind for me, I'm not even sure if this is a side quest because it kind of seemed so important to the story to me. I know you guys are not going to like this since you're not Yennefer fans, was the, the Jin mission with the, um, mm-hmm. the breaking of the, um, the breaking of their kind of magical bond, bond kind yeah. of thing. And then, um, yeah, I just think that was a very kind of, a deep moment in in mm. in the game, and it kind of like seemed to me like how is this how is this side content and stuff? And there's there's loads and loads of examples where you're you're playing the game and you're just thinking like this is this is content that that uh, people might not see, and uh, this much effort's gone into it, you know? No, absolutely, that's a great mission. It's a great mission, and, and fighting a gin is a bit of a fuck on. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean that it's so it's so expansive that yeah, yeah. There's there's loads of them. Yeah, yeah. I think he, I think yeah, the one you were you were mentioning before is like a, a real highlight. The um, that Carl mentioned as well. The the vampire kind of serial killer one's a real mm-hmm. good one with lots of um. That's the one with lots of um, autopsies and stuff. I think isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a really good one. One that that I always remember is one. It's like on on a haunted island somewhere. Yeah, um, that's one where Kira gets you have to thingy. Use, yeah, yeah, you have to use the lamp and stuff to see what's happened. You know, with all these ghosts and stuff. And mm. um, yeah, it, and she killed she killed the bloke at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think it's it's like a real bait and switch kind of thing at the end like oh bring me bring me back to my lover or whatever and then it's like <laughs> you've helped her get her you've helped her get her revenge <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, yeah that's one i always remember um but yeah there's there's lots uh especially the the monster ones yeah where you find mm. out the monster is not really a monster i think i remember the um the werewolf one quite well 
Yeah, that's um, the best. I think where that's he's the best kind of he's he's thing. caught in a he's caught in a curse where he um you know he, he keeps coming back to life and uh he can't eat I think is he can't eat and everything yeah. he, he eats like tastes like tastes like ash but he but he has an eternal hunger and he can't die and um yeah because he used to be um a raider i think it was and he yeah yeah and that was kind of his punishment and i like the way a lot of the the quests are kind of they lay they always kind of seem to link back to something in the lore like it's usually like a curse or someone's um you know done something wrong or they've they've broken a bond or that kind of thing it's usually um it's usually tied back to the lore in in some way very rarely is it just you know something happened for for no reason it's it's usually tied to um to their their kind of beliefs and way of living you know um i remember one uh, um as well was a skellige one where um uh i think some woman was uh betrayed by a by her husband or something so she put up like a curse outside of his house that was gonna like um kill his child or something and it's one of those quests where it's like Oh, whose whose side are you, are you on? Are you going to be on this guy who mm. who uh, who messed up who who messed up this this woman and and left him for this mistress and now has a child with her, or are you gonna you're gonna um, take revenge on the wife? And it's one of those where it's kind of like oh, you're you're both you're both in the wrong here, you know. But yeah, the the game's full of that. The game's full of full of fully fleshed out quests that would be mainline quests in in any other game. That yeah, it's it's. Um, you're really driven to see everything in the game because you you, you know you you're, you're going to miss something um, that's that a lot of uh, care and attention has gone into. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I said when I was picking my fave, the 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 side stuff is what like the the main stuff's brilliant, but the side stuff and the detail it's what makes this game. Well, we're going to do ratings in a minute, but like a 9 out of 10 into 10 out of 10. Um, I think that's what the difference is. And well, whilst we're on it, what favourite um, Witcher contract car? Um, I, um, oh, it's hard to say. Mm. Well, I, I, I like a lot of them, really. Um, one that I liked and hated at the same time was the, the kind of woodland spirit. I hated it because the solution I took ended up not getting me the trophy because technically you don't complete the contract. <laughs> but it, it was one in which there was there was three ways to finish it, and and um, you know, obviously there's the traditional way of killing the spirit. There's a way of doing what the spirit wants, and then there's a, another way of kind of just almost. Get, getting rid of it peacefully and that's what I went for and it, it didn't count as, as completing the, the the quest but at the same time I could appreciate it for the fact that it gives you so many ways to resolve it and while you're kind of deciding what to do you're kind of talking to the villagers and kind of getting a sense of what's going on in the village and you know why this is happening and, and I think that's that happens with a lot of the contracts I mean it, it's never even a straight decision of do I go with the person on my right or do I go with the person on my left? There's often kind of, there's, there's, you know, Geralt is a detective almost as well as a, you know, kind of this this problem-solving warrior. And I, I think that's why I, I 
you got to appreciate all the contracts, really. But that, that one particularly stood out to me. How about yourself, Guy? Um, there's a couple. I quite like the other werewolf one, where he he kills his his wife and it's his her sister gets her killed by telling her to go find your husband here, who's a werewolf, and he eats her. And then it's like, well, I'll either kill her or you kill me and stuff like that. But I just thought of one there. Um, it's where there's the leader on Skelliger who's cursed, and you have to, I think you take his baby, and then you put it in the oven and stuff like that. It gets all mind-fucky, and you have to think that he, that uh, the kids died oh, to yeah. get the spirit off him and stuff like that. Um, oh, that was, in, that was insanely yeah, good, that actually. Was- yeah, that was a yeah, that was a really good one where like like the the person needs to think they're in distress or something, mm-hmm. and in order to lure out the monster, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And the other one I quite like is the haunted house where it's the other godling, the opposite, not Johnny, the other one, where she she's living in the house. Yeah, I quite like that one because then it comes back to the end. If you kick her out, she's friends with Johnny. <laughs> uh. But um, any the, any other Witcher contracts that spring to mind? The one the one that comes to mind. I'm not sure if it is a Witcher con- contract, but it is to do with monsters. You kind of, um, it's the one where um you kind of come across this I don't know broken down wagon or whatever, and you're you think it's Neckers, and you follow them in through a cave, and you yeah. get ambushed by all the insects, and mm. it, then you're you're going through and you find all these plans and stuff in order to ambush you and stuff and then you find out it's like it's like a, a group of monsters kind of like an intelligent <laughs> yeah um, yeah monsters it's, there's like a troll there's a werewolf a godling and i think one other kind of monster and they they they'd all plan to like kill you or something because you know they hate witchers because witchers kill monsters um and yeah. then you can kind of convince them by saying, "Oh, here's all the monsters I've helped in the past. Like, oh, I helped free this, I saved, I spared this monster's life. I, I um, freed this monster from a curse. I reunited this monster with with so and so, and then eventually they um, they just go, oh, yeah, witches aren't so bad. Except mm. I think it's the the werewolf yeah. has like a yeah. has like a particular agenda against you, and you have to kind of fight the 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 werewolf. But the other the other members, the troll, the the godling and there's definitely a there's definitely a, thir- a fourth one there i can't remember which um or whatever he's called doppler that's what oh it yeah yeah i think it is a doppler yeah yeah um yeah that one always kind of springs to mind for for good um monster contracts uh for me anyway yeah that's that's an excellent point actually because it also the fact that you've got a side mission there or a contract i can't re- i can't remember either which it was but that is influenced by all the other side missions and stuff you've done you know that who would think of that i can't think of another example in another game where your past actions and other side missions influence a side mission of course there's side missions that lead into other side side missions but this is completely unique in that sense for me, or at least in what I've experienced in games. So I think that's an excellent um, example and, and possibly the, the best example of how much thought the developers put and the, the kind of the writers and that put into the, the side quests in the game. Absolutely. And let's talk about, let's have a quick natter about Gwent. I mean, we're nearly at two hours and we don't want to go too much longer than that. It is Gwent the best game within a game? Has to be, doesn't it? I th- it's really up there. 
Um, the only thing for me where maybe it's not as to me it it's very easy. I find like there's not a big challenge with Gwent uh, for me anyway. But yeah, it definitely for one thing it has the best music in oh, a yeah. side game in Absolutely. a game by far. That that <laughs> track is unbelievable. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I'd. I, I'd I'd echo what what Matt said there. I think like Gwent in your first start playing, it's it's it can be a little difficult. But once you've kind of got a decent set of cards and you know how to play, you you know kind of the clear moves to make to win every game. But I'd say you know I'm not going to kind of levy that as a criticism too much because when I think of other card games within games, I can't think of any that are particularly hard. You know the Tetra Master in in uh, Final Fantasy Nine and what's the one in Final Fantasy Eight, Matt? The uh, Triple Triad. Triple Triad, yeah. Um, you know they they're similar in that you know they're quite easy. You're gonna you're gonna once you get the you know what's going on, you're gonna win the vast majority of games. Um, and I, I can't think of any game that has won a game within a game that's particularly challenging. You can usually suss them out. They're, they're not quite as deep as a standalone card game like a Hearthstone or Magic or whatever. But it's still class to think that they they put this game within a game and that there is the level of depth that there is to it. And obviously now it's spun off into its own game. You can download Gwent and play it, uh, much like the millions of other card games out there. But I'm sure it's one that would be particularly appealing because of people who enjoy The Witcher. So, I mean, it's it's definitely a positive within the game, even if it is easy-ish to, to figure out. And yeah, the, the music is good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and I know you haven't finished or started the DLC yet, Matthew, but just a quick spoiler-free uh, talk on, on, on DLC, um, Carl. I mean, Blood and Wine, as you mentioned, is literally a game within a game. And, oh my God, what is the one called? Um, is this, oh God. Uh, Stone, Stone something. Stoneheart, is Stoneheart. it? Stoneheart. Yes, that's it. Yeah. They're, they're, uh, they're impressive. They're impressive. Oh, they're they're, they're both excellent. I mean, Stoneheart is you know I think there's there seems to always be a strange trend to these Western open world RPGs where you get the first DLC seems to kind of almost be uh, sometimes it's a continuation of the main mm-hmm. game or it's something that can kind of run alongside the main game it takes place largely in areas um, that that are within the main game's map. Um, not as usually as long as subsequent DLCs, but nonetheless often worthwhile. And, and Stoneheart is is certainly an example of that. Um, it, it's 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 a great little story. Don't, don't want to talk about it. It's you know it's got its own romance story in there, which is kind of central to Geralt's character. Um, and then obviously on top of that then as you said you have blood and wine and blood and wine is uh, it's hard it's harder it's a <laughs> higher level kind of dlc than 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 stoneheart it, it's i actually stumbled into blood and wine i went into some village met these two guys and and ended up in a fight and the characters i was fighting against there's about 
say 12 to 15 of them and they were all twice my level so i had to run around for the best part of two hours using the two npcs as cover and kind of trying to backslash and kind of whittle away at the enemies and hoping that the the npcs would chuck them away kind of chuck away at their health and eventually kill them all it was it was horrible but i hadn't saved in so long that I didn't want to lose my progress. It just was unthinkable. So that that was interesting. But when I eventually actually chose to play Blood and Wine, it was it was a great experience. Like it's huge. Like it's it's about a fifty hour, probably even longer if you do. Because Blood and Wine, by that stage, if I'm honest, I was a little bit burned out because I'd I'd been in the game for for around two hundred hours, and you know it, I. So when I got about halfway through building wine, I, I kind of just pressed forward with the, the main quest. But there's, there's a lot of side stuff t- to be done in, in building wine as well. Maybe some of the side stuff isn't quite as in-depth in the main game, but I, I think mm. we can forgive them for that. And uh, as you alluded to, Guy, I think Blood and Wine also brings back a lot of characters that would have been in the books that weren't in the main game or, or indeed the other games. Um, so it's interesting to get even more of an expansion of kind of the what's come before. But uh, they're, they're both excellent and, and, and obviously Matt has them on his to-do list. But for anyone out there, and I know there's a lot of people who kind of played The Witcher 3 initially, completed it, kind of felt they it was wrapped up and, and moved on. Uh, having enjoyed what they'd experienced, I, I would urge you to go back and play these two DLCs because they're some of the best DLC I've ever played. I mean, they're up there with your kind of shivering aisles, even probably better, to be honest. And um, what, as I said, two of the best DLC expansions I've ever played. Mm. 100%. 100%. Um, and to finish, chaps, we're going to have to put a number on this. I've kind of spoiled mine earlier. It's 10 out of 10. I think it's pretty much the perfect game, especially with adding on the DLC and stuff, pretty much giving us another game, which is always great. Uh, so ten out of ten for me, Carl. Are, are you gonna Are you gonna do it? You know, I've, we've discussed this in the past, guy. I don't like to give tens because I'm not sure anything is is perfect. But at the same time, I suppose you know you can only kind of compare it to everything else, and you know to if there's any select few games that I'm going to give a 10 to, I, I guess I have to kind of somewhat reluctantly because of my views on 10s, I have to say from that point of view, The Witcher is one game that would be deserving of a 10. Good man. And Matthew, would you give this a 10? Yeah, lucky for me, I'm not so so strict on, on my rating guidelines. So yeah, I think if you can't give... Um, what I think most of us have said is, is definitely up there as a, a game of the console generation. If you can't give that a 10, then, you know, what, what can you give a 10? It's definitely definitely a masterpiece. Like Carl said, you can only really compare it to what else is out there. And it's, yeah, it's really best in its, best in its class. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it'd have to be a 10. There we are, people. 30 out of 30, 10 out of 10 times 3. Is it the perfect game? You'll have to figure out. But thank you, you two, for joining me. And thank you, everyone, for listening at home. Again, it's been a long one. But as we keep saying, pretty much whether it's football-related or game-related or whatever-related, there's nothing else to do, unless you're still at work, unfortunately. Just listen to this podcast.
podcast. And hopefully we'll be back again. I think Carl might be planning something without me, a sneaky devil. Um, but that'll be another review, I think, if that's going ahead. But Carl can confirm that later. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for listening. Goodbye. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.